Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Dave Snoke, and uh, I'll be bringing the word to us tonight. And uh, as advertised, this is the beginning of our uh, Advent Christmas series. And so we have, you notice the candle there, uh, that's an Advent wreath. And the first candle is called traditionally the prophet's candle. Now, not everybody has the same names for the candles, and some people don't have any names for them. Uh, but traditionally, uh, it's called the prophet's candle. And so what we're gonna, I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to look at a passage of Scripture that talks about prophecy uh, and prophets uh, before Christ. And uh, uh, we'll see, we'll, you know, really in the coming weeks, we'll be pulling out different passages uh, to look at the Christmas story as we all go all the way through uh, to, that, uh, to that great story. So I'm going to actually do something a little bit uh, different. Uh, I'm going to read from the additional scripture first before I read from the main text, because I think it kind of helps set the context a little bit. Uh, I'm going to be talking a fair amount about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist uh, really belongs to the prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, And so uh, the passage we're looking at is a passage that talks about John the Baptist uh, indirectly, And Jesus quotes this passage in referring to John the Baptist. I'm going to read that passage that Jesus uh, spoke first, and then we'll turn to the actual passage then uh, that he quotes. So this is from Matthew chapter 11. It's on page 7 in your bulletin if you want to read along. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed up in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. And then he goes on to say, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So with that having uh, been said, now let's look at the passage that he quotes from Malachi. Uh, So this is also uh, printed in your bulletin on page 6. And actually start back a couple verses uh, in chapter 2, and then I'll read a good chunk of Malachi 3. So when we're done with this, then at the end, our tradition is to say, this is the word of the Lord, and the response is, thanks be to God. So this is uh, God's word from the prophet Malachi. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you... O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. 
Um, so in Malachi, one of the interesting things about the book of Malachi is there's kind of a, a dialogue going on. Uh, there's a number of times when the prophet Malachi, speaking for the Lord, says, well, you say this, and then this is the Lord's response to that. And so that's why I put the, um, the verses just before Malachi 3 in there, because actually Malachi 3, which is the part that has the prophecy uh, of, of John the Baptist, of the, of the messenger preparing the way, it's actually in response to a question, sort of rhetorical question, that comes just before it. And so that question is, um, well, God says to them, you have wearied the Lord, and then there's sort of this imaginary dialogue, and they say, how have we wearied the Lord? And then he tells them how you've wearied the Lord. You've wearied the Lord by saying the following two things. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. I'm going to come back to that. And then the second thing that they uh, ask that wearies the Lord is they say, where is the God of justice? And so actually that is the lead-in to them him saying, oh, he's coming. Uh, he's coming all right. Uh, and that's what Malachi 3 uh, goes into. But it's interesting. I think you know, the context of that when they uh, are asking, where is the God of justice? It's really like the statement sometimes we hear, you know, why do uh, bad things happen to good people? Why are there disasters? Why are there things that happen when good people have bad things happen to them? Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when all this stuff happens? And um, there is sort of the assumption that, well, we want God to show up in order to fix things and to make things right. Well, it's in that context then that uh, God, uh, speaking to the prophet Malachi, uh, gives this uh, uh, prophecy here. And he says, Behold, I send you my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And Jesus says, Well, that's John the Baptist. He is preparing the way before me, Christ. And so then Malachi goes on to say, The Lord whom you seek will come to his temple, uh, the messenger of the covenant, which we understand to be the new covenant. Uh, behold, he is coming. And so there is a promise in response. You want God to show up, you want God to set things right. Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But there's then in verse 2, uh, what I uh, picked as the title of the sermon, uh, sort of the, the interesting rhetorical question. But if he shows up, how's it going to go? Uh, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Fuller's soap is like really uh, like full of lye and really burns. Uh, and so it's two things that burn away at you. And so, really, that gets then to the role of John the Baptist. Uh, why was it that it was necessary for John the Baptist to show up on the scene, to be there? And we read earlier, actually, as one of the, uh, the scripture passages, uh, John the Baptist was born around the same time as Jesus and left in the womb, in his mother's womb, when uh, Mary comes with Jesus in her womb. And so it's already very much uh, the work of the Holy Spirit uh, working through John the Baptist, even in the womb. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty amazing story. Well, there's two things uh, I would say that John the Baptist does uh, in preparing the way. One is actually just sort of a technical point. Uh, Jesus is coming as the Messiah. And as we heard this morning uh, in, uh, in uh, Pastor Matt's sermon, uh, Jesus has to sort of fulfill the prophecies of being the king. So the, the word Messiah means anointed one, literally the one with oil poured on his head. That was how they crowned kings uh, in Israel. And so he has to be, first of all, a legal uh, heir of the throne of David. 
uh, and that is fulfilled through Joseph, uh, as we heard this morning. Uh, but there's another thing that has to happen, which he has to be coronated. He has to be coronated by a prophet. So all of the kings, uh, David and Solomon, so on, where the prophets would break a flask of oil over their head. Uh, and so John the Baptist anoints Jesus with the Holy Spirit uh, at his baptism. Uh, and so um, there is a, literally a sort of coronation, you could say, in which John the Baptist pronounces, this is the one. And so he very literally points to Jesus and he says to his disciples, that's him, you know, go follow him. Uh, and so he's, he's playing that role of, you know, really being the, the, the coronating prophet in the tradition of the entire Old Testament of how messiahs, how kings uh, were crowned. And so he plays that role. Um, but the second role that he plays is really the one I think that's alluded to in Malachi uh, chapter 3 here, which is he's preparing the hearts of the people. There really is an implication uh, in these passages and in some of the things that John says that um, when God draws near, uh, it, you were sort of, as, as Matt preached this morning, in some ways I'm saying a lot of the same points. We didn't collude on the sermon, uh, so we, kept, we should have maybe uh, colluded on some of the things. But when God draws near, it's both greater blessing and greater threat. Uh, and um, that's actually very literally in our communion table. If you read the New Testament passages on the communion table, there's a sense in which when we draw near to God through communion, there's greater blessing, but there's also greater danger. Uh, there is a danger in drawing uh, in, a, in an improper way toward the communion table, which is why we make sure people really understand what they're doing and, and talk through that uh, the way that we do. Uh, and that's just sort of, in some sense, a, 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 a picture for us. Uh, but John the Baptist comes to preach repentance. He comes to prepare the hearts of the people because if Jesus is coming, and the implication is, if there had been complete rejection of him, then the judgment could have fallen on them much, much sooner. Uh, so I'm going to turn to your additional scriptures again here. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 3, which gives a description of John. And I preached before when we were looking at uh, John the Baptist and some of the scriptures uh, in the past um, year. I talked about it. John the Baptist was a really interesting guy. Uh, it, he was a, I, I call him a rock star of his, of his, of his age. Uh, even after uh, Jesus uh, rose and went to heaven, for decades after that, there are many people who had heard of John the Baptist who had never heard of Jesus. Uh, and you might ask, well, you know, how could that be? Jesus, you know, made such an impact, created the church and so on. But in a way, you could say, like, John the Baptist was the, the first century equivalent of a TV preacher. Like, he was flamboyant, right? So listen, uh, this is in Matthew chapter 3. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt, and his food was locusts, that means insects, uh, and honey. And so everybody in Jerusalem went out uh, into the wilderness to see him. Uh, and they were baptized by him, confessing their sins. And I'm going to jump down a little bit here. Uh, he then said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. When he says the axe is laid to the root of the trees, he's really sounding like an Old Testament prophet, uh, like the prophets who predicted the exile uh, when Jerusalem was destroyed uh, many hundred years earlier. 
He's saying it's not just sort of a general call to repentance, but he's saying judgment is impending. You are coming up on a period of history which is unique, uh, and you need to repent and get right with God. Uh, Now we know that in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. So there really was a judgment that fell on Jerusalem. But the implication is that um, this is all happening at sort of this nexus of time when Jesus comes uh, and really comes as the Messiah and is the one who they need to be ready for, they need to be prepared for, or judgment could be even so much worse and even so much more uh, severe. So this is now going to sound a lot like Matt's sermon this morning. (laughs) I've talked about the term Emmanuel. Um, Jesus is God drawing near. And so we looked at the Isaiah passage this morning. Uh, In this Malachi passage that we have in front of us, it's the same concept, right? He says, I am drawing near. God is coming near. And the question is, how is it to be near to God? A lot of us Maybe pray that, God, I want to be near to you. Why do you feel so distant? I want to be near to you. But the rhetorical question here is, do you, do you really want to be near to God? Do you want to be near to who God truly is? And one of the words that's often used for God is holy. He is the holy one. And the picture is uh, that you cannot draw near to the holy as a sinful person without literally being in danger. Uh, there is a sense in which drawing near to pure goodness can burn up those who are sinful. And I was trying to think of a good picture of this, and this is going to date me, uh, but uh, the thing that came to mind was Indiana Jones, the movie, which is already from the 80s, so it's like 30 years ago. So it's, it's out there, you can get it you know, on the uh, movie surfaces. But at the very end, this is going to be a real spoiler uh, in case you've never seen it. At the very end, they open the Ark of the Covenant, and out come these angels, or spirits, whatever it is that's coming out, and, uh, again, spoiler, uh, they kill all the, the angels coming out of the ark, kill everybody. Uh, but in the midst of that, the people who are being killed are awestruck and they go, it's beautiful. And it's really, and it, I think it's a really interesting picture of sort of a Hollywood moment, of Hollywood kind of getting it, that there can be something that is so beautiful and good that it actually burns you up. Because you are not worthy to stand in its presence. Uh, And that's really the picture that we have of God over and over in Scripture, uh, that he is the one who the Israelites said, please go away from us, we can't take your presence, please please hide your face from us because you're scaring us. Uh, And so there is that picture all the time of God drawing near, and yet that being a scary thing. And actually, in the Isaiah passage uh, that Pastor Matt read this morning, uh, there's a really interesting play on words because... Uh, we, we looked at the passage in Isaiah 7 where it says uh, he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And at the time in Isaiah 7 when that's given, it sounds like a great promise. It's saying, well, don't be afraid of these two nations because there's going to be a child, God with us. Okay? But then in chapter 8, it's talking about a judgment. And I also have this in the additional uh, passage here. It says, be broken, you peoples, be shattered, <clears throat> all you far countries. Take counsel together, it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. And it's really the same exact Hebrew phrase, Emmanuel. And some translations actually say that. It will not stand, Emmanuel. And another way to put that is that God is drawing near for judgment in the context of of Isaiah 8. And so he's talking in Isaiah 8 about the fact when God draws near, again, that can be a scary proposition. 
And so there's sort of this double-edged sword. So what I want to really land on for this with the incarnation is when we think about the baby Jesus in the manger, uh, in a lot of ways we should just really be blown away by that. Because, I mean, the the context here in, in Malachi 3 is he's saying, this one who you want to come near, what will it really be like if the true God draws near to you and comes into the temple the way that you're asking for? And it says, this is his character. He is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will be a refiner and purifier of silver, uh, one who burns people up. And so it would have been entirely within God's rights, within his possibilities to do exactly that, to show up uh, and to judge and to burn up evil in his first coming. And yet he doesn't do that. Uh, He comes uh, as a baby. He lives in a family that was really the lowest of the low. I was actually uh, uh, talking to somebody uh, a few uh, months ago. Uh, When it says that that Joseph was a carpenter, Actually, in the original language, it says he was a builder. Uh, and that actually was a generic phrase that just meant, like in German, a bauer. Uh, somebody who was a person who, who did handwork. So it didn't necessarily mean he was a skilled carpenter making fine craftsman tables. That meant he was a hired hand who was called to put up a wall. Uh, that's, that's often the way that that phrase was used uh, in Hebrew. And so he was among the poorest of the poor. Uh, and so... He comes in that, not as the refiner's fire. And yet, uh, as we know the story, he comes on a mission to save. He comes on a mission, setting his face to the cross to die for our sins uh, and to be the one who will save us. And yet, I think what we want to not miss is his character still is the character of the one who is the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap. And so when he comes... Uh, first of all, um, as we actually heard in Ben's testimony, this is all fitting together really well here, um, uh, the character of Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, just really strikes you, right, that he is the refiner's fire. Even though he's not coming, sitting in judgment, he's not uh, sweeping uh, away his enemies, yet you can't help but see in the Gospels how he is the one who is the refiner's fire in the fuller's soap. And so when he speaks to people, uh, including the Levites and so on, he is speaking in a sort of a purifying way. He's saying, this is not tolerable in my house. You know, he gets out the whips and he whips uh, uh, people who are selling things in the temple. Uh, he does, uh, he speaks with authority uh, and he speaks as one who is the one uh, who refines and purifies. And so we need to remember that the grace of the incarnation is that God refrains from that which he can do, which is to judge and to refine. And he comes out of grace in order to die for our sins and to be that one of grace. And so it's really both pictures. We should have that picture both of he is the gracious one, but remember that he also is the one whose character never changes. And he is the God of wrath. He is the God who judges. Uh, and so as we, uh, as, as, as Naaman then talked about, um, he still is that judge, and the passage in Malachi is going to be fulfilled. There is going to be that second coming in which he will judge the nations, and he will judge his own people, and he will purify them. And uh, there is that purification process even for believers as we stand before God, our evil will be burned away. 
And the question is, what's going to be left, right? If, if you stood before God today, and he was that refiner's fire, and everything evil about you was burned away, that's both a promise and a threat, right? It, on one hand, it's an amazing promise to say, that is so wonderful that all my evil will be burned away. But it, it sort of demands the question, what's going to be left of me, right? How much treasure have I built up? Uh, how much silver and gold in spiritual terms have I built up that will stand in that fire, in that refining fire, and be left at the day uh, to present before God as, a, as, a, as an offering of thanksgiving? Uh, we, we, um, we need to think about how um, it's a joy, and yet it's also, uh, some sense, a serious matter to say we should be thinking that we will be purified, that we will stand the promise, of course, is that you will stand. If you are in Christ, as much as is burnt away, you will stand, uh, and you will not be burnt up uh, in that judgment. And so, as we, as we look at this passage here, uh, as we finish this off then, we see, he says, I will draw near to you in judgment. I'll be a wit- witness against, basically, the whole list of sins that I talked about last week. Um, but he says... In verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, of children of Jacob, are not consumed. That refiner's fire, that burning fire, which is really in the very nature of Jesus himself, won't consume you. You won't be burned up. Not because of you, but because of my character. Because I don't change. Because I have given my word that my people will stand before me and will not be burned up. And so, therefore, it's such an interesting phrase where he says, because I don't change, therefore, you won't be consumed. You know, it's not because you are so good, because you've passed the test, but rather because I am true to my word, therefore you are not consumed. Uh, and so, uh, just to go back to uh, that original uh, call in the, in the chapter 2 that was leading into this, uh, where God says, you weary me by saying the following things. You say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. That's really a paraphrase of saying, I think everybody is basically good, right? Isn't that essentially what that verse is saying? This is what you say, says the Lord. You say everybody who does evil is actually good in the sight of the Lord. And that's really, you could say, just like we say today, I think people are basically good. And so the problem is not with our sin. The problem is that God is asleep at the wheel. God is not fixing things the way he ought to. He's not shaping things up. And so we're kind of mad at him. And we say, where is the God of justice? Why doesn't God fix things? Uh, but the, the promise that we have of this is God does show up. There will be a day of judgment. He will be the one of the God of justice. But the question is, where do you stand? Do you say, oh, everyone is good in the sight of the Lord. I have nothing to worry about. Or do you say, if I stand in that refiner's fire uh, and that fire was to consume everything evil about me, uh, will I stand in his presence? Uh, the promise of the incarnation uh, is an invitation uh, that he says, if you return to me, I will return to you. That if you come to me, I will save you. And so we have the sure promise of God that we don't have to be afraid of that day of judgment, as, as, uh, as, as intense as that might be. Precisely because when Jesus came the first time, he did not come as judge. He came in grace, uh, not only to uh, not judge, but actually to even take our punishment upon himself on the cross and to die for us. Uh, And so we see both the justice and the mercy of God poured out, uh, and we see that the one who is the one who is the refiner's fire also is the one who himself lays down his life to save those people who he could judge. Let's pray.